I'd like to do today is finish the remainder of Psalm 139. Last time we looked at verses 1 through 12. Well, today we want to look at verses 13 through 24. We want to look at God's omnipotence and the outcome Meditating on God's greatness had an effect on David. Our theme for today, as it was last time, is our awesome God is worthy of our worship. When I was a kid, somewhere about 11 years old, I was at a park in North San Jose, and uh, we were playing softball, a few friends of, of mine, and and, I, and uh, our softball went over in an area that some big kids were playing. By big kids, I mean some were about 15, 16 years old. I was about 11 at the time. And uh, they wouldn't give our softball back. And fortunately, my older brother was at the park. And he was a big guy. He was 16 years old. And we told Frank about it. And he went over and he got the softball back by shoving the guy that had the ball and got the ball back and gave it to us. And I thought to myself, boy, my older brother is awesome. He's powerful. He got our softball back. And even my friends were thinking, wow, my Frank's really something to do what he did. Now, last time we looked at God's omniscience and God's omnipresence. By omniscience, we mean that God knows all things actual and possible. And by omnipresence, we mean that God is everywhere present in his totality at all times. Now, today we're going to look at God's omnipotence. Verses 13 through 18. Dr. Charles Ryrie defines omnipotence as God is all-powerful and able to do anything that is consistent with his own nature. God is all-powerful and able to do anything consistent with his own nature. Now, sometimes people will say, can God make a rock that's so big that even he can't lift it? Can God make a stick with only one end? Can God make a square circle? Well, these are things that are inconsistent with his nature, with his character. They're silly things, but I've heard these things over the years. God is all-powerful and able to do anything consistent with his own nature. Let's look at the creator and designer of all mankind, verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame, my body was not hidden from you 
when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, in other words, in my mother's womb, your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Verse 13 says, God created my inmost being. In other words, he created my soul, the center of my mind, of my, mind my emotions, my will. He created my inmost being. Verse 13 goes on to say that he knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then in verse 15, I am woven together in the womb. In other words, God saw everything from beginning to end of my creation in the womb. My mother, who's with the Lord now since 1997, she used to crochet or knit afghans. And uh, I don't know, they were something like uh, five feet by five feet, beautiful afghans with beautiful designs. And she made a number of them. She would be there watching uh, maybe her Dodgers play on television as she knit and crocheted or maybe watching a love movie like Magnificent Obsession with Rock Hudson, who she loved. And uh, she'd be crocheting or knitting these beautiful afghans. And I would go over to visit, and uh, after a while she would finish one and hold it up, and it was so beautiful to behold. Well, God thinks of our bodies as beautiful and fearfully and wonderfully made from his point of view. I don't know about you, but I get very excited when Christmas comes and put the tree up and begin to see the presents pile up under the tree, hopefully. Well, there was a five-year-old girl and the tree was up and the presents were beginning to multiply under the tree and several times during the day, she would pick up a present and look at the shape and the size of it and look at it from all angles and put it back and then pick up another one and look at it, and especially the one with her name on it. And uh, one evening, she picked up a box. Its big red bow fell from it. In a burst of inspiration, she picked up the bow and stuck it on the top of her head. With a twinkle in her eyes and a smile as bright as the star atop of the Christmas tree, she twirled and announced to her parents, Mommy and Daddy, look, I'm a present. This little girl's words were more true than she realized. Our children are the most wonderful gifts God has ever given to us. Take time today not only to admire your child's talents and achievements, if at all possible, not only to enjoy your child's personality, 
but to truly delight in the fact that your child is a present from the Creator to you. I remember being at Santa Teresa Hospital and seeing the birth of both of my daughters. And I can't explain the joy and the excitement that I had in seeing the birth of my little girls. Listen to what Job says in Job 10. Job speaking of God's handiwork. Your hands shaped me and made me. Verse 8. You molded me like clay. Verse 9. You poured me out like milk and curdled me like cheese. Verse 10. Verse 11 says, You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. And verse 12, You gave me life and showed me kindness. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, God speaking of Jeremiah, and God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you or I chose you, I had a relationship with you. Before you were born, I set you apart. You see, from the womb, Jeremiah was set apart to be a prophet to the nations and especially to Israel. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, speaking of himself. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, God had set the apostle Paul apart to be an apostle, a sent one. So here we've heard from the apostle Paul, we've heard from Jeremiah, and we've heard from Job. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and each of us is unique, and each of us has a ministry serving the Lord Jesus Christ. God did more than design and form our bodies. He also planned to determine our days. Listen to Psalm 139, verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. God has already determined how long of a life we will live, but also the tasks we are to perform. And as I said a few minutes ago, each of us has a ministry. Each of us has a task. We're a part of a body of believers. And when we exercise our spiritual gifts in serving one another, this pleases God and makes for a healthy body of believers. We are truly wonderful in the sight of God. Listen to this story, a true story of a professor in his class. A professor in a world-acclaimed medical school once posed this medical situation, an ethical problem, to his students. Here's the family history, said the professor. The father has syphilis. The mother has TB. 
They already have had four children. The first is blind. The second had died. The third is deaf. The fourth has TB. Now the mother is pregnant again. The parents come to you for advice. They are willing to have an abortion if you decide they should. What do you say? The students gave various individual opinions and then the professor asked them to break into small groups for consultation. All the groups came back to report that they would recommend an abortion. Congratulations, the professor said. You just took the life of Beethoven. Beethoven was the fifth child. A woman helps create the body of her child, the author writes, and as her child grows, she nurtures its emotions and mind. Only God, however, can create the child's eternal soul. A soul must have a body on this earth. A body has a soul. Both God and mother are partners in the creation of a baby from the moment of conception. No privilege is greater than the privilege of creating another human being, and no act requires greater faith. Back on February 4th, 2015, I officiated at a memorial service, funeral service, for young Jeremiah Valdez, who was 18 months old. He was born with severe birth defects, and Mary and Matt Drummond asked me if I would handle the service for their foster child. And I remember Mary would bring little Jeremiah here to the church in his little carrot basket. And uh, little Jeremiah would look at me with his penetrating stare. And I'm telling you, it really did something to my soul. And I began to thank God for the health I do have and to thank God for little Jeremiah that God was using to reach some of us, to give us a wake-up call on how precious our health is. And we should never forget what he's done for us. Little Jeremiah is now in glory, and one day, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll meet him. Chuck Swindoll says the following, Every child is uniquely made, a divinely chosen individual placed in the womb to grow and develop, to be born, to discover, and to be. God works for nine months putting everything together in a wonderful way. As the bones and muscles and structure of a baby's body are being woven together, 
so are the personality, character qualities, and unique gifts of that individual person. God's hand is on us from the moment we are conceived. We are the product of his working. Each of us is uniquely made. Here's another true story. In 1944, a 41-year-old woman sought an abortion from her doctor. He firmly refused, asserting that abortion was just not right, morally, ethically, or legally. Again, this was 1944. The woman later gave birth to a baby boy and named him James. James Robinson. This unwanted child grew up to be a well-known evangelist, and now he and his wife host a weekly show on television. God has a plan for every human life, even those who are not wanted. Countless are God's thoughts concerning us, verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Dr. Warren Wiersbe says the following, God's thoughts about us are precious. Precious means weighty or valuable. His thoughts toward us are unique tailor-made, and that makes them valuable. He makes the individual and then plans for him. When we accept God's plan for us and exercise believing faith in entrusting our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, then he can work out his perfect will in our lives. Now, there are some times when we don't fully understand, as in the case of baby Jeremiah, why God does what he does. And we scratch our heads and we just can't fully understand. Why God, why would you uh, create someone with birth defects? It doesn't seem fair. I know I've struggled with that from time to time. Moses said in Deuteronomy 29:29, the first part of the verse, the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. And Dr. Charles Ryrie says, some things God chooses to keep to himself. In the meantime, we need to live a life of faith and trust in what God has revealed in his word. One day, the great theologian Augustine was walking on a beach and he saw a little boy putting some water into a hole from the ocean. He'd run in a little pail and put it water into a hole. And Augustine had been struggling with some deep, profound biblical truths, maybe something like Psalm 139. And he asked the little boy, what are you doing? And the little boy replied, I'm trying to put the ocean into this little hole in the sand. Augustine smiled, recognizing the utter futility of what the little boy was doing. Suddenly, 
the light bulb went on in Augustine's mind. He realized that he had been trying to put the infinite God into his finite, limited mind, and it can't be done. There are some things, until we reach eternity and glory in heaven, that we will not fully understand. In the meantime, we need to come to grips with what God has revealed in his word. Shakespeare said, what a piece of work is man. Our awesome God is worthy of our worship. Let's wrap it up by looking at the outcome of meditating on God's greatness, verses 19 through 24. David writes, If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries, O God, misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, this is a very difficult section. What do we do with it? This section is what we call imprecatory language. The psalmist, in this case David, wants God to judge or punish those who are committed to a wicked lifestyle. David's praying judgment or punishment upon people who want nothing to do with God. In fact, he says in verse 19, these are wicked, bloodthirsty men. Now, we don't know. We weren't there 3,000 years ago. But apparently David knew of some wicked, wicked men who were violent and wanted nothing to do with God. Then he says they say evil things about God in verse 20. Verse 21, they hate God. They want nothing to do with him. And David is allowing us to look over his shoulder as he has written these things. And we're saying, wow, that's powerful language. But you know something? Let me be honest with you. There have been times in my life since I've been a Christian for 47 years now that I can identify with King David. Let me share a few examples. When I see protesters setting fires, breaking windows, assaulting people, looting, such behavior angers me. In fact, before I came here to the church today, I saw a clip of a young man who just suddenly reached out and pushed over a 92-year-old woman, and she fell and she hit a fire hydrant with her head. Fortunately, she's going to be okay. When I see terrorists beheading people, and I've seen that in the news, not the beheading, but they line people up on a beach, ISIS a few years ago, or flying planes into the Twin Towers, I burn with anger. I really get angry. 
Again today in the news, I heard of a uh, auto mechanic who has a shop, and right outside of this little Mickey Mouse city or whatever of three blocks called Chaz in Seattle, they robbed this man and set a fire. And uh, he called 911, I don't know how many times, 12 times, and no one responded. I get angry. I get very angry. Now, 1,000 years after King David prayed these words, wrote these words down, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us something different. He's told us to love our enemies and pray for them in Luke chapter 6. And that's a tall order for me many, many times. But that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has asked us to do. The Apostle Paul says, leave vengeance with God. He will repay. A friend of mine named Rudy, many years ago, was sharing Christ with a young man. And uh, it was at a party, and this friend of mine, Rudy, had just rededicated his life to the Lord Jesus Christ after being away from Christ for a number of years. And he was sharing Christ with this young man. And this young man tore open a can of beer, and he told Rudy, this is my God. And he drank the beer. And out of the corner of his left eye, he could see a tear coming down Rudy's eye, face. And Rudy left. A week later, he came back to the same group, talking to the same young man. And that young man, with an attitude, took a hit or a drag or whatever you call it off a marijuana cigarette and blew the smoke in Rudy's face. Rudy would keep coming back, coming back, coming back. Well, one day he visited that young man, that man, young man with an attitude in his apartment. And that young man told Rudy, I'm very miserable. I put on a good front, but I'm really miserable. And Rudy said, would you like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? He'll forgive your sins past, present, and in the future. That's why Christ died on Calvary's cross. There's no way we could pay the price to a holy God. Christ came and paid our debt. Would you like to receive Christ? And that young man said, yes, I would. He knelt in his apartment. Rudy said a prayer. The young man repeated the prayer and was sobbing. When Rudy finished, that young man got up and gave Rudy a hug. That young man was me. 47 years ago, I had an attitude. But for 47 years now, I've had the privilege of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the God of the second chance. 
He's willing to forgive our sins and give us a brand new start if we want it. David ends with the words of of verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. We met that word back in verse 1. It means God carefully and thoroughly investigate or examine me. Now God has already done that because he's omniscient. But David's giving him permission. God, go ahead and search me. And see if there's anything in me, in my thought life, in my active life, that's not pleasing to you. Point it out to me, God. Point out anything that offends you. Verse 24. Sometimes at home, my wife will go to the refrigerator, open it up, get the trash can and find out some find some strawberries that are a little bit too old and throw them away find an old lettuce that needs to be discarded maybe the milk doesn't smell good we empty it down the drain and throw the container away and uh, throw this away and that away and the rest we keep that's what David is saying dear God if there's anything in me that's rotten that's unhealthy, that's not uh, of any value to anyone, please point it out to me. David ends with verse 24, and lead me in the way everlasting. There are two ways. One way is the everlasting way or the everlasting path. And the other way is the way that leads to destruction. Each of us has to make a choice. Will we choose God's way and turn our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, have your way with me. I want to be your servant. Or we can say, I'll do it my way. And then, according to the word of God, what awaits everyone who says that is the lake of fire. And that's for all eternity. Heaven is for all eternity. And the lake of fire is for all eternity. We have to make a choice. God is the God of the second chance. Why not trust Christ if you haven't already? Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the wonderful salvation that we have in Christ. Thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins, past, present, future, when we come to you broken wanting to turn our lives over to you. Thank you, Father, that you can use us in any number of ways. We are fearfully and wonderfully made 
and each of us is precious in your sight. Thank you again for the words of Psalm 139. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.